So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, but Peter stood outside the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now, Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. I'll remind you of that page in just a minute uh, so you can turn to it in those blue pew Bibles. Until then, will you pray with me? Father, we come before you and we ask, um, as we have already sung, would you please make this an hour of prayer? Father, for some of us sitting here, it'll be the first time that we've prayed all week. For others, it, it might be the first time that they have prayed in their lives. Father, you have said that when we gather together, you are with us. And you have said that when your word is read, it never goes out and returns to you void, but always accomplishes the purposes for which you sent it. Father, to a woman and a man in this room, we need you. Father, we have seen how this world works. How in a moment's time, years of relationship can be swept away. How comments can be made and lives destroyed. 
how a security and a stability fought hard for can be ripped from us in a careless act. Father, you know us. We feel today the truth that your word says about us, that we are like the grass and the flowers of the field that are here today and gone tomorrow. Father, those of us who are on the precipice of rest and of vacation and of school break long for refreshment. Father, convince us that we will not find it away from you, but that we will find it in your presence. Father, like this passage today, some of us wonder if there is anything like truth. And if truth and justice will prevail. Lord Jesus, because we know that we worship you as our king enthroned, we praise you that you remind us that truth and justice prevail. And so we ask for it to come. And Father, as long as you have us your image bearers on this earth, would you please give us sanity of mind and strength of heart to see you clearly, Jesus, and in you to understand ourselves. Father, that's a lot to ask especially when some of us don't even know if we can pay attention for 20 minutes, especially when we wonder what is going to happen as soon as I walk out this door, as, as soon as I turn on the television, as soon as my phone rings again. But Father, you're the one that said that you would make yourself known to us. You're the one that said you would give us your spirit that we've already prayed for. You're the one that said you're going to make us different women and different men. You're the one that said that sanctification is by grace. And so, Father, we pray that you would meet us, that you would pour your love out into our hearts by your Holy Spirit, and that you would change us. Father, I pray, would this sweet hour of prayer come upon your people? And would your people drop their heads and pray to you? Would we be led to worship? And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray all these things. Amen. Well, we're going to continue on in the book of John. Uh, we are in the middle of Lent. Uh, if you look over here on the Episcopal calendar that's before us, we see that it's the third Sunday of Lent. 
Uh, Lent is this time of spring. It comes from a word that means lengthening of days. That's why most of you are tired this afternoon is because your day got lengthened this morning by an hour. And so Lent is this time of the season in the church calendar in the spring when we prepare our hearts for the celebration of Easter. Now look, in a very Reformed understanding, we celebrate Easter every Sunday we are together. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The fact that our King is enthroned. We are not waiting for a tomb to be emptied or for a cross to have a body taken off of it. Our Savior Jesus sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and is waiting to return to judge the living and the dead. That is our time. But this Lenten season for the church, in its best form, is a time of contemplation. It's a time where fasting and prayer are the norm. It is a season of both recognized and celebrated dependence, right? Thus the idea of fasting and prayer. Recognized and celebrated dependence. We as human beings, dependent, made that way, not a result of the fall. But like everything else, we have the ability to twist everything that is good, and we do, into a season of deprivation, into a season of, of doing without simply to prove the point that I can do it. And suddenly, the concept of Lent is the exact opposite of why John wrote this story for us. Peter's denial. It's unusual that we get to study the Passion of Christ during the Lenten season. This is a great year. It's been three years coming for us in the Gospel of John. We're here. We're going to finish it. But we get to contemplate Peter's denial for a minute. We ask ourselves, what do we think the central theme of this denial is? I want you to consider that as Jesus leaves the garden in this chapter 18, as he is led bound both to Annas and then to Caiaphas, I want you to consider that these trials of Jesus and thus the denials of Peter are all about the question of truth. I want you to think about this for, with me for just a minute. Truth. In this story of Peter, it's the truth about ourselves has Jesus told us the truth about us? And in the story of Pilate, it's going to be the truth about Jesus, the truth about God. But the theme of chapter 18 is truth. It's really hard to contemplate thinking about the truth about ourselves, isn't it? Because we guard that truth about ourselves very carefully and very tightly. Has anyone ever asked you a question and you're moved to tears and you're not even sure why? Because you know that someone is peering into your heart and asking you a question of truth. 
we guard the truth about ourselves behind the things that we love. We guard them upon behind the things that we wear, the cars that we drive, the stuff that we have, the houses that we live in. I was thinking about it myself, the clothes that I wear, the very logos that I want on my body because they communicate, at least to me, and to someone else who knows them, something about me that I want to be true about me. It always strikes me very profoundly that I drive a four-wheel drive truck in the middle of a city. The word that might pop into your mind is poser. Some of you have some of the nicest outdoor gear known to man. I've only met one Navy SEAL who wears it who might be able to say he has the right to wear it. <laughs> the rest of us just like it. We think it communicates something about us. This is who I am. This passage about Peter in his denial is a question about truth, but the truth about Peter and in turn the truth about you and me. The stage is set for just such a moment. You can see in verses 12, 13, and 14 that Jesus is arrested and He's bound. And He is led away by the Roman soldiers and the officials from the Pharisees and the, high priest, and the chief priests into Annas' courtyard. Annas, who is the father-of-law of Caiaphas. Now, just one second, I'll be able to clear this up for you, I think. Annas was the high priest who was deposed by the Roman government. And he was no longer high priest, but his son, Caiaphas, was made high priest. And not only Caiaphas, but from time to time, the Romans didn't like Caiaphas either, and they would make one of his brothers the high priest. But the reason he was led to Annas is because Annas was the high priest that the Jews considered to be the high priest. And then he was to be led to Caiaphas. But John makes sure that we understand that something else is happening here. Because he says in verse 14 that it was Caiaphas who advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. You go, wait a minute, where did he say that? How did that happen again? Well, listen to these just few verses out of chapter 11 when this indeed happens. You remember that there's a plot to kill Jesus, and this was after the rising of Lazarus from the dead, and the Jews came and, and they told the chief priests and the Pharisees what Jesus had done. And they wondered, what are we going to do because we're going to lose everything? And Caiaphas just says this. He says, but one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it's better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. And then listen to what John says. He just referenced this, so he wants us to hear this. Listen. He says of Caiaphas, he did not say this of his own accord 
But being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God whom are scattered abroad. John wants us to approach Peter's denial, understanding that there is more going on here. John wants us to be aware of the truth of what is happening. I want to try to show you that I believe the Peter, the theme of this chapter with Peter's denial is the truth about Peter and in turn the truth about us. So will you look at it with me? Verses 15 and following. I think Beth told you that it was on page 904 of those blue pew Bibles. It would do you well to open one up and look at this with me. I want you to see this introduction to this idea of the truth about Peter and the truth about us in verses 15 to 18. I want you to see that in verse 15, we're actually told that Simon Peter followed Jesus. Those are loaded words for the Gospel of John, aren't they? Why are they loaded words for the Gospel of John? Do you remember? Do you remember that in chapter 13, Jesus told Peter, where I'm going, you are not able to follow. And what did Peter say? What? I can't follow you? I'm going to lay down my life for you. And do you remember the conversation? Jesus says, oh, really? You're going to lay down your life for me, Peter? Peter, I'm going to tell you that before the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny me, right? And so John starts right away in verse 15 with Simon Peter following Jesus. And you, a careful reader, are led to believe, wow, what's the truth here? Is Peter able to follow Jesus or not able to follow Jesus? It's really interesting. The Gospel of John is very tightly written. Clues left and right and an irony all over the place. And it's beautiful that this disciple who is described, most likely commentators say, is the gospel writer himself, John, that John is with Jesus and he enters with Jesus into the courtyard of, of, of Annas because he's recognized by the high priest and the girl at the door lets him in. But what happens to Peter right away? Is he able to follow Jesus? <laughs> John points out what we ought to be thinking about because he says Peter's not even allowed in the courtyard. Peter's stuck outside. Peter, the guy that wields the sword. Peter, the guy that is going to die with Jesus. Look, I'm not making fun of Peter. Peter is a tough man. Peter's already risked his life once that night for Jesus. He's serious about his passion for Christ. He's not afraid of some girl at the door. But he's not even able to get in. John has to go back and say, hey, this one is with me, let him in. And the way we understand this is that as he goes in, the girl, verse 17, the servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of his, this man's disciples, are you? Speaking of Jesus, you're not also one of Jesus' disciples, are you? 
I recognize John, he is one of Jesus' disciples, but you're not also one of his disciples, are you? And Peter lies. You remember when Jesus was asked, or Jesus asked the crowd, who do you want? And they said, we want Jesus of Nazareth. Do you remember what Jesus said? He simply said, I am. Do you want to know what Peter says right here? He simply says, I am not. It is simply the negation of what Jesus had said before. Peter lies. I want to ask you a question. Are you ever surprised by what you tell lies about? Now I've made a big assumption about you. It's the same for me. Are we ever surprised about what we lie about? Peter lies and he says, I'm not fighting for this. I'm not a disciple of this. I am not his disciple. John gives us another bit of information that seems like throwaway until you dig into how John writes. He said it was cold. Not only are we able to say it was night, as it still was, but the truth exposes us, and it exposes Peter. We are told that John is with Jesus, but that Peter is with them. Those officers of the high priests who have removed themselves and are warming themselves by the fire. This story about Peter is interrupted. And I think it's interrupted so that we will understand that this is all about truth and whether or not Jesus has told the truth to Peter about who Peter is, one who is unable to follow Christ. Because as Jesus is questioned by Annas and then struck by the officer, the clarification of Jesus' questions are all about truth in verses 19 and 24. This is in the middle of Peter. John is pointing us to something, and then he's going to take it and return to Peter. Look at what he does, first with Annas, and secondly with the official. We're told there in 19 through 24 that Annas questions Jesus. And we go, well, that seems reasonable enough, but it's not reasonable enough. Annas should not have turned and questioned Jesus. If this is a fair trial about truth, the way it worked is that witnesses were called forth to defend Jesus. They were supposed to call forth and and defend Jesus. And then witnesses were supposed to come forth who were against Jesus and give their testimony. And then Jesus third would have been asked, now what's your testimony? That's what fair would have been. That's what a real trial would have been. That's what someone who was looking for the truth would have done. 
But Annas doesn't do that. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, look, I have taught in public everywhere I've been, where all the Jews go. What is he saying? Ask any Jew if you want to know what I've been saying. He said, I've spoken openly in the synagogues and in the temples. I haven't said anything in secret. Why are you asking me? Here's the thing about any time God the Father, God the Son, and the Bible ask questions of our own hearts or of the people that they are talking to. They are always to uncover the hearts of people. And Jesus asks Annas, why are you asking me? Ask them. He's surrounded by officials sent by the Pharisees and the high priest. Why would he even say, ask them? Because do you remember back when the Pharisees sent the officials in the first place to arrest Jesus? They came back and they said, we can't arrest him. Nobody speaks like this guy. But who else might he be talking about who's there that could be asked? Witnesses for Jesus. I, call me crazy, Peter and John? But even as Jesus says, do this the right way, ask them, find the truth, his witnesses are dissipating. The official slaps Jesus. Open hand, closed hand, I have no idea, strikes him. He says, do you dare to speak to the high priest that way? What did Jesus do to the high priest? He just challenged the high priest and said, why do you ask me? He was saying, you're not looking for the truth. You're looking to use my words against me. And the official slaps Jesus, strikes him. And what does Jesus do? In the same way, he turns to the official and he says, why do you strike me? What is your motive? He says, look, if I've done something wrong, bear witness to what I've done wrong. But if I've said the right thing, if I have told the truth, then why do you strike me? What is in the forefront of this story in between Peter's denial? Jesus tells the truth. So now we ask the question, as we carry that into the rest of the story, did Jesus speak the truth to Peter? We're back to Peter, and we're back to ourselves in verses 25 through 27. We're back to that place of being exposed and cold, of being found out. Jesus or John says that Peter is there warming himself by the fire. And again, he is asked in verse 25, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. And then in verse 26, as if it couldn't be clearer one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you 
in the garden with Jesus? Think about this for a minute. Peter was just in the garden. You read it. Peter's the only one that we read in the garden who stood up for Jesus, who drew his sword and in the face of an entire Roman cohort said, I will defend you and slices at a human being. Peter is bold and he's brave. He stood up. But now, Peter denies it. In his finest moment of defending Jesus, when his own life was at stake, didn't I see you in the garden? Aren't you the one that cut off my brother's ear, my cousin's ear, my uncle's ear, whomever this dude was related to Malchus? And Peter denies it. A third time denying Christ and the rooster crows. What is highlighted for us? Jesus has spoken the truth about Peter. Do you see that? Jesus has spoken the truth about Peter in chapter 13 when he said to Peter, after Peter said, why can't I follow you? He said, you are not able to follow me. That's what he said in chapter 13. And Peter said, that's not true. I'm able. But Jesus told the truth that Peter was unable because Peter was unwilling to be the disciple of a suffering Savior. What had Peter heard Jesus say? A slave is not better than their master. I tell you, if I have loved you by laying down my life for you, you ought to lay down your life for one another. If you are going to be my disciple, you have to take up your cross and follow me. You have to lay down your life. And Peter said, no, I'm unwilling to do that. I am not his disciple. Careful. Careful. Check your heart. Because I think that we see very quickly in our own lives. I know that I see very quickly in my own life. I do not want to need a Savior. I certainly fight against needing a suffering Savior and being a disciple of the suffering Savior. So the question is poised to you and to me, are you also one of his disciples? Are you a disciple of the suffering Savior? Even if you're called to suffer at the hands of injustice, are you a disciple of the suffering Savior? 
Are you a servant who is not greater than his master? Are you one who is willing to lay down her or his life because you follow one who laid down his life for you? Are you? Are you willing to take up your cross? And as Jesus said, follow me. Now how does it sound from Peter's voice in your own voice to say, I am not. I am not. I am not. Sisters and brothers, if Jesus' words are to be taken at face value, we are called to a life of dying. Does that characterize our homes, our priorities, and our decisions? Have mercy on Peter. Because Jesus is just telling the truth about Peter. And as we contemplate him, we have to ask the question, does he tell the truth about us? Does he tell the truth about us? Listen, why in closing does John drive this truth home? You might even say, Bradley, why in the world is this the good news that you've decided to preach for us today? One, it's right here. But two... It's because it really is good news. Jesus had said something else about truth that I think we ought to hear. It comes from John 8. You can go look it up later. And if you forget where it is, ask me. I'd be happy to tell you. I've got it in my notes. He says this, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. How does the truth set Peter free? You are unable to follow me. I'm telling you the truth, Peter. You're unable to follow me. How does that set Peter free? How does Jesus' truth set us free? I think there are three reasons. I'm going to give them to you quickly. One, it sets us free from our own lies. It sets us free because if Jesus tells the truth, it means that he knows us, that we are not able to save ourselves. Peter, you cannot follow me. You are not capable, he says, nor are we capable of saving ourselves we poked a little bit of fun at Benjamin at his uh, uh, rehearsal dinner. Any of you who know my boy know that, number one, fruit doesn't fall far from the tree, right? But number two, one of his favorite things to say is, I've got this, I've got this. How many of you faced something this week and you thought to yourself, you know, I got this. It'd be all right. I got this. I got this. Oh, uh, it knocked me back a little bit more than I thought, but I've got this. I've got this. Uh, I, I've still got this. I've got this. 
But see, the truth that Jesus tells us sets us free from getting this and having this and allows us to say, no, we don't have this. Jesus knows, you guys, that we resist sacrifice, that we resist laying down our lives, that we resist taking up our crosses. And if Jesus' truth will set you and me free, we become part of the nation and part of the people who are scattered abroad that he draws to himself. We become those. That's awesome. The truth can set you free. But I want you to think a little bit tighter about this. I want you to think about when Jesus says, abide in me, abide in his word, believe what I've said. Apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you cannot bear fruit. Apart from the truth. Remember when we studied that passage? Bearing fruit that would last for an eternity is lives that are changed. What are you about? in your life? What are we about? Jeff loves to tell us when we gather together as elders, there are two things that are eternal in this world, the Word of God and the souls of human beings. So let me ask you a question. For for whom are you laying down your life and, and, and dying? For whom are you proclaiming in the way that you live the truth? Because to believe that Jesus is true sets us free from relativism. It sets us free from everybody having their own truth because that's not true. Jesus is the truth. He's the way and the truth and the life. Do you want life? You're not going to find it anywhere apart from Jesus. You're not. And that's the truth. Why would we care about anyone else's sexual immorality? Why would we care about the way human beings act in this world? Because we human beings are the image bearers of the truth. That's why we would care. Believing the truth sets us free from relativism. That your truth is your truth and your truth is your truth. That's not true. Not if Jesus tells the truth. And you see, believing the truth sets us free from relativism. Because we care about God's image being truly born. But there's one last thing that believing about the truth of Jesus does for us. It sets us free to consume the only thing that will satisfy us. Believing the truth that Jesus says about us sets us free to consume the only thing that will really satisfy us. What is that? It's the love of God for you and for me. Because that's what's happening here. That's what's unfolding is Jesus has been sent by the Father because he loves you to die for you because you are not capable and I am not capable of making that relationship right. 
But God loves us that he sent his only son to die for us. To believe that Jesus is the truth sets us free to consume what really satisfies, which is the love of God poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. You know that one of my favorite quotes has to do with fire. Those who have the ability to warm themselves at the fires of God's love, instead of stealing love and self-worth from other sources, consuming sex and alcohol and experiences and distraction, because you are made to consume, you're a human being, you are made to be dependent, but to warm yourself at the fires of God's love instead of stealing warmth from other sources. That's the root of holiness. That's the root of how we change. We feed on the love of God. And that is the truth that Jesus is portraying for us. This story is about the truth of Peter and the truth of you and me. We are not able to save ourselves. Next week, we're going to hear the truth about Jesus. My brother went to Vanderbilt, and one of his buddies uh, became a pastor. His name's Colin. Colin became a dear friend of mine. We did RUF together, and then Colin left RUF, and he started a church in or planted a church in Dallas, Texas, and you guys are related to that church via Robbie and Kelly Mills. That church is the church that supported Robbie and Kelly Mills as they did their work to internationals from around the world. Um, The name of that church is New St. Peter's Presbyterian Church. Their image on the front of their order of worship is a really interesting thing. Their image that's everywhere across their website is a really interesting image. On the front of your order of worship is the mustard seed that has become a tree in which the birds of the air find rest. That's the image that's on the front of those orders of worship that you have. You don't know what the image is of New St. Peter's? I bet you can guess. It's a rooster. Their image is a rooster. And when you read the front of their welcome, they say, because we know ourselves to be, as another one of my friends said, those who leak grace, those who lose heart. We know ourselves to be those who cool to our first love. Sound familiar? Revelation 2. New St. Peter's has a rooster, but not just a rooster, a rooster on whose head rests a crown because it's new St. Peter's. There is hope because of what Jesus has made us capable of. New creatures abiding in Christ capable of laying down our lives, capable of obedience, capable of responding, capable Some of you know that I want a tattoo. I haven't had enough boldness to get one yet. You'll be the first to know. 
I'm leaning toward a rooster. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm leaning heavily toward a rooster. Because this rooster proclaims that Jesus has told the truth. And listen, I want him to tell the truth about me because I want to be set free more and more to obedience, to trusting, to obeying, to dying. And as I prayed for you this week, this is what I want for you as well. I love you. Let's go to the table together. Let's find our faith fed. All right? Let's pray.